This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Well, obviously there was uh, quite a bit of red ink running in the rivers across America as Republicans took back control of the U.S. Senate and with it, the Congress. But what does that mean for the American economy? There are some interesting viewpoints on that as well as the outcome of some of the issues that were up for vote as well. To discuss, we welcome in our friend Kent Smethers, Wharton professor who's involved in business economics and public policy. Also joining us, Megan Murphy, who is the incoming Washington bureau chief for the Financial Times. Great to have both of you with us here today. Megan, thanks for coming on the phone. No problem. Good to be here. Uh, Megan, what's the reaction in D.C. Uh, the morning after today? I mean, what a night. What a night. I think that uh, I think that this wasn't what was expected by almost any pollsters, even people who leaned right. This was not even a wave. You can call it what you want, and I'm doing my own personal tracking of the words being used this morning. Yeah. Lacking wave, repudiation, uh, you know, something taken to the woodshed. I mean, you can choose whatever uh, adjectives you want to describe last night's uh, absolute sea of red across the board. But today we're waking up and we're looking at, we're trying to dissect where we really saw significant shifts in voting patterns. Uh, was this simply a expression of mass voter dissatisfaction with President Obama? Yeah. What this is going to mean going forward for what is going to get done, what's not going to get done? And, 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 and fourthly, looking ahead to 2016 and really trying to strip out some of the noise and look at where we've seen a real change here and where this is just a sort of one-off reaction to a very dissatisfied, unsettled, unsettled voting population. Well, where do you think you're, you're seeing the, the, the biggest shift come from? What state, uh, what area really made the biggest difference last night? I think that... Uh, First, I just, you know, the McConnell race being called so early was yeah. a big wake-up call. Now, whether or not when we were looking at that, we were willing to sort of put that aside and attributing to that to just his excellent campaign, the way he got out that vote. But where I think you really started to feel the squeeze was certainly in Virginia. Yeah. I mean, with Mark Warner and Ed Gillespie, that race was never expected to be close. And what that ties into is a much wider theme that you saw throughout the night, which was the Democratic Party's real, real problem going forward in the southern states, you know, from Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, which is going to a runoff. Um, Chris losing in in Florida, yeah. Hagan going down in North Carolina, Pryor in Arkansas. The Democratic Party has a fundamental problem in the southern states, and in part, that's about the economy, and that's about where job creation has been, which hasn't been there. It's mostly been in the sort of commodity and resource-producing states in the Great Plains, but also how the Democratic Party has identified itself in terms of as being party of a certain sense of social and cultural ideals, and that just certainly isn't resonating, particularly in midterm elections and statewide elections that are much less a referendum, shall we say, on national policies. 
and see it, and are trending more towards how people are feeling about are they better off under Obama? Do they feel like their lives have measurably improved? Yep. Can they afford to do certain things for their kids? Can they afford to take that vacation? Can they afford to get a new car, fix the car, et cetera? And where wages are really being squeezed, as they have across the nation since the crisis, you really saw those voters express that dissatisfaction last night. Kent? Yeah, I, mean, I completely agree with Megan. I mean, it's likely the Republicans will have 54 seats after Alaska gets called and Louisiana gets goes to the runoffs. Uh, all the polls indicated that, you know, uh, it was likely the Republicans would take the majority, but the probability associated with 54 was yeah. single digit, so that it was it was quite uh, a big surprise. Uh, Virginia, obviously, was a huge um, uh, a surprise, and it's it's also a record, likely going to be a record now in the House in terms of the Republican advantage. What I think this does is that it certainly puts the impetus now in the Republican Party to actually do something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, obviously Boehner was complaining for years about you know everything gets stalled in the Senate. Well, that argument goes away, and actually having uh, some cushion. Um, it allows Boehner as well uh, as uh, McConnell to, you know, maybe fight back a little bit against some of the more extreme elements, the, the Tea Party, yeah. and say, we got to get stuff done. You've started to see some of that fighting back happen, especially by Boehner in the House in the, just the last year. And I think given the margins that they, he, he has to work with now, he can, they can actually probably get some mileage on doing something serious on immigration reform, for example. Megan, uh, in terms of the, uh, the economic issues that uh, now that this Republican-controlled uh, Congress is going to have to look at, obviously wage growth is one that, that still is a big, big factor for, uh, for most Americans. Uh, maybe it is the biggest one right now. Uh, job creation, it's interesting because of the fact that we've seen all these reports from ADP and the Labor Department the last few months that, that have come in pretty good. But still, the labor participation rate is still historically low. Uh, you still have, obviously, a lot of people that are not back in the workforce. And the wages, as I said, are just not where, uh, obviously, a lot of people would like them to be. I mean, absolutely, no question. And I just want to want to highlight something that I think people will sort of realize as this day continues is, is it was a great night, Republicans, but you know what it was also a great night for? Minimum wage proposals. Yeah. Yeah. In five states, minimum wage proposals passed. Yeah. Many of those in, party, in states that went red uh, last night or are traditionally leaning red. So it's a huge – it's actually a really interesting dichotomy here. Even in states where people seem to be overwhelmingly rejecting uh, you know, Obama policies – they, they voted in favor of hiking the minimum wage, even in states where um, Scott Walker in Wisconsin has at one point said he doesn't even see the reason for a minimum wage. What does that mean? That means exactly as you say, that voters are really looking at their individual pocketbooks. Yeah. We may be in an, we are certainly seeing, uh, you know, the, the shoots of a recovery, the recovery coming through in certain areas of the economy. So we are in a uh, feel better in terms of the data, as you've noticed, firm numbers again this morning. But the issue is we are not yet into a feel-good stage of the economy. Sure. Yeah. Last night's vote, if anything, was not a vote for positive change, and that's because very few candidates on the ballot were running on the back of a, of a positive change and positive policies. The Republicans were very smart and very focused on targeting their campaign on an anti-Obama a vote for this candidate X is a vote in favor of Obama. Not many of them were going forward and saying, this is what I'll do with the economy. This is how I'll reduce the fact that the lion's share of yep. wage interest could 
wage increases is going to a very small segment of the economy, the top 1%, the top 5%. Very few people went out there with an affirmative approach. And that's going to be the real fascinating question over the next six months and, and, and actually the two years as we look forward to 2016. What, how are the Democrats going to respond in sort of framing this message? Yeah. And how are the Republicans, are they actually going to be able to you know, get stuff done as just discussed? I'm not sure. I think that is the million-dollar question. Will they be able to sort of keep the leash on the more extreme elements of the party, pushing forward, say, the most radical um, parts of the agenda to really sort of – they're going to have to make compromises to push certain stuff through. They may be much smaller compromises looking at the map last night, yeah. but it's still going to be compromises are needed. We're really going to see a real picture of whether or not they are ready to do that, whether they're ready to lead, and that's going to be fascinating over the next two years. Yeah, and what's particularly impressive about the minimum wage proposals passed in these red states is they passed by really big margins. Yeah. These, these weren't even close. Yeah. And so I think that has to be a huge wake-up call for Republicans, that that's a winnable <clears throat> issue for Democrats in the in the next election. Obviously, a lot of these proposals were at the city level, a state level, in the case yeah. of San Francisco, at the city level, uh, but they passed by big margins, even in red states. And so uh, the Republicans are going to have to ar articulate a clearer line. Obviously, uh, from an economics pr perspective, the minimum yeah. wage is probably not as smart as using the earned income tax credit to do redistribution. Sure. The minimum wage places a tax on just some companies, the low-margin companies. That yeah. it, Apple and Google are all fine with the minimum wage because they don't <laughs> they don't get taxed. That's right. By That's it. right. Um, but it, it's it's so from an economics perspective, it's not really kind of the best way of even targeting the poor because a lot of the mm -hmm. a lot of these are kids who are actually coming from you know higher income families, um, but in, it, it is something that gets the numbers and so the the republicans if they're going to oppose minimum wage at the federal level um it increases they have to be super articulate about what the alternative there has to be an alternative yeah. i was going to bring up megan the, the the thought that if if the next two years do not see market growth uh, on a lot of these issues that we're gonna, that we've talked about and we're going to be talking about in the next 15 20 minutes that this could very easily flip exactly the opposite in in 2016 yeah i think it, I, I think it can uh, in some respects let's just break it down a little bit i think some of the gains last night you know obviously particularly in the house the you know way districts are are drawn uh, that's always going to be a long term issue yeah and in the senate as well as i mentioned earlier in the south that looks like an increasingly difficult battleground. Um, you know, this isn't going to be sort of Bill Clinton gains, regardless of who runs uh, in the South. But it is exactly as you said. When we get towards 2016, the sort of electorate for a presidential election year is very different than a midterm electorate year. Uh, we will see uh, Republicans will certainly have uh, be judged for what they can get done over the next yeah. two years. An obstructionist policy has gone down very badly with the American people, um, from the shutdown to, you know, absolute leaving immigration reform on the yeah. table um, as a favor. So this, that sort of track has been very, very unpopular. Were Republicans to go down that road, and I think they've been very smart again overnight. Uh, 
in sort of making sure that none of that verbiage, with the, with the exception of a few outliers, mm. was really being used. Yeah. There was, you know, there was a lot about consensus. There was a lot about forging path. There's still a lot about mandate. There's a lot about wave. There's a lot about, you know, we need to make changes. But it's being tempered with a language you haven't seen. And whether they'll be able to keep that grip on, uh, that's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, uh, that's going to come down to the House yeah. leadership. I mean, and I think Boehner has enough cushion at this point that he can and create a more moderate, moderating uh, voice. Obviously, if what Megas says comes to fruition where the Republicans overplay their hand, then this is a position for Hillary to position herself as a sure. counterbalance. And sure. people do like divided government. And that's what, you know, <laughs> what we see uh, empirically. I think the big race for a lot of conservatives last night was it much more important than even the Senate with Scott Walker, yeah. Wisconsin. Absolutely. I mean, he's going to be really their poster child. And, yep. and so then the question comes down to how does he position himself? Does he come out kind of swinging hard from the right, or yeah. does he now swing a little bit more toward the center? He, he, everybody says he's a super likable guy. Yep. And so he's a guy who could probably pull off. He doesn't come off across like the bully of the Chris Christie. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> a, you know, depending who you ask. But, you know, I think he's um, obviously for super pro-labor union you don't like him for, for just his policies exactly yeah but in, in terms of personality i think he can uh, he, he'll it'll come down to how he really positions himself well and megan obviously for scott walker and, and kind of to go back a few years obviously uh barack obama when he was running for president the first time he was a very likable personality and uh for however you judge him we're in this spot right now and certainly there are people that do not like the job that the president has done in terms of the economy. So where Scott Walker is really positioned potentially in a couple of years, if he doesn't do the job in Wisconsin, it's not going to allow him to get the chance to be able to do the job on a national level. I think this is absolutely, we're right to highlight this race. And one other, which I'll discuss, and one other little facet, um, we had a, a senior Republican strategist in the office this week. And exactly, he said that the two races they were watching most closely, actually, it wasn't even the Senate, but it was Walker and it was Sam Brownback in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, who also won re-election last night after a rather tough battle. Which, with yeah. that, that, that was the, we actually talked about that on the show here a couple of weeks ago, and that was kind of the amazing one when I saw it last night, that he actually did get re-elected. Yeah, yeah and, and I want to, for readers who are, I mean, readers, <laughs> for, for listeners, listeners who aren't as, that's okay. Listeners who aren't as quite as familiar, both of these governors have been at the forefront of pushing forward um, a fairly radical uh, Republican conservative agenda that's, you know, that's a lot about spending cuts, that's a lot about tax cuts, that's yep. reducing benefits. In Wisconsin, you've seen, uh, uh, you know, as mentioned, absolute um, sweeping changes, limiting uh, state workers' rights to collective bargaining. Um, as you said, very popular among some portions of Wisconsin, not so popular among labor unions and teachers. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, on both in both states and, and in Kansas particularly, those re those reforms have been and charitably described as mixed. You know, Kansas has been <laughs> downgraded by by the credit rating agencies. They have a much bigger deficit than uh, on revenue, a much bigger shortfall in revenues than was originally projected. Yeah. Um, they say that that can be fixed and that it was due to some pension reforms, which is a technical detail. But let's be honest, the jury is still very much out there on this fiscal experiment in Kansas. A sort of uh, uh, a very big dabbling in supply-side economics. So that's number one. With Walker as well, I think how he'll position himself is, I've walked the walk. I suffered the consequences. You know, 
and I've come forward stronger and in a position, and this vote last night, which he won fairly comfortably, shows that actually voters are ready to accept these policies. They're ready to crack down. They, and I think this is a really careful messaging by the Republicans. And, and, and Walker, I think, has, has got it right in tapping into this sentiment, and that's this. Nothing is free anymore. You know, yeah. if you're going to take benefits, you need to, uh, you need to show that you're looking for a job. You need to show that you're getting out there in the workforce. That sort of, uh, that's what he's appealing to. You yeah. don't get anything for free in my state, and that's proven to be a very powerful message. Uh, and it will be uh, whether or not uh, I think we will see in Wisconsin again whether or not some of these experiments are actually fiscally sound. Do they actually boost growth in Kansas? You know. We we have actually seen growth at a lower rate than 31 other states. We see many neighboring cents with much with rates of unemployment that are falling much faster. So the jury's still out in this experiment, you know, on an economic level. Voters apparently, you know, appear ready, appear ready for these policies and appear ready to, to back those candidates. So, so that's, I mean, it's a fascinating dynamic. And the one other thing I wanted to mention on that was just as you're mentioning on the centrist. One thing I think the, the Democrats will be looking at really hard this morning is, is a candidate who wants to tilt more left, let's say an Elizabeth Warren, really viable? Yeah. And I think if, if you look last night, the answer to that question is pretty clearly no. Yeah. one eight four four wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Your comments. Uh, we're talking a little bit about the uh, midterm elections last night, but also uh, really the economic effects on them as well. One of the other topics that I, I know was bandied about yesterday that I, I would imagine now that it is a Republican Congress, we will start to hear about again is the Keystone Pipeline. Mm. Are we going to are we going to see that finally really kind of kick into gear uh, and, and move forward, Megan? I think Keystone's got to be uh, got to be one of the tops. I mean, you saw the commentary before. I'm, I'm sure you guys saw, but I mean, at the top of the list was pretty much people saying, you know, if we get a Republican Senate and if we see the gains in, in the House that we're likely to see, uh, you know, Keystone's as, as as good as good as dusted. So I think that's one that certainly uh, is going forward. I think the bigger, the also ones to watch are um, corporate tax reform. Where yeah. we're going to see that infrastructure. All you know, this is a what the Republicans are going to do is they're going to want to pass bills that they know are really popular with the American public and fixing yeah. roads before the summer driving season is one of them. So, you know, Keystone, infrastructure spending, um, some form of corporate tax reform, although I don't think a sweeping package, I think that's going to be very tough. Um, trade, obviously, is another big issue where we might see something getting done. Immigration as well, I mean, although it's trickier. Medical uh, repeal of the medical device tax, I think, will be on the table. Um, you know, but there are some it's, uh, some issues that are really important to businesses that, yeah. know, that are going to be pushed forward now. This is going to be a very different pro-business agenda than we've seen before. And I think if the Republicans paint this as here are really popular legislation that we've approved in both chambers yeah. that we've now put before the president. Let's see if he's going to use his veto. Let's see if he's going to extend that mm -hmm. political capital to do that. And he's going to have to, you know, either hold his nose and sign or, or take the political hit for veto. Well, and the corporate tax uh, rules that potentially, you know, could get tweaked, that's going to be very interesting as well because we're talking about uh, from last I, I read, about $2 trillion worth of, uh, of profits that are sitting uh, outside the United States. And if you adjust the tax rate on that, 
uh, obviously that mu- it, it it does benefit the companies, no doubt about it. But it also is going to end up making a a benefit to uh, the U.S. economy for having that money back in. It, it it's it is almost uh, something at this point with as much money that is off there, Kent, that you have to get done at this point. Yeah, I think the. Uh Current attempts is simply trying to, you know, call them waved American flags, sure. you know, patriotic <laughs> attempts. Yeah. The there have been proposed. The, the, Ask these, Burger King about that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, these are just uh, not uh, useful ideas. And I think uh, uh, to really do a, cor- a corporate tax reform, we the, the real issue is the territorial tax method that we don't have and everybody else has. We have a worldwide tax. And shifting over to a territorial or destination <clears throat> tax, I think does require a bigger kind of change to the to the tax code. Yeah. Is could the great grand compromise, the type that we saw in nineteen eighty six where the Democrats and Republicans also divided government, just the opposite though. Yeah. Democratic controlled House and Senate, Republican president. They did they decided to jump off the bridge together. They, they had this agreement we're not gonna take pot shots at each other. We're gonna jump off this bridge together and get this done. You know, uh Everybody in 1985 said there's no way this is going to happen, yeah. um, but it, it did get done. So there, there's potential compromises here um, uh, with, with the corporate tax. Keep in mind, a lot of things have also changed. The United States now has the highest corporate income tax yeah. right, in the, in the, uh, amongst OECD countries. And it's, it's pretty amazing if you're above France that you, <laughs> you probably yeah. have some issues there. And so yeah, I think yeah, it's something we need to, to, to fix. Megan? I mean— this 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 is a this is a great one. I mean, absolutely. And what I think uh, it's, a lot of the strategy has been waving the American flag uh, until it is Warren Buffett and Burger King. But what you what is really uh, fascinating to actually look at is when you talk about inversions, whether you talk about you know offshoring of uh, of income, where you talk to whether or not this income should be repatriated, how much boost that would give to the American economy. Yeah. You need to really discuss you know. Are, you know, we have this territorial tax system. Countries are allowed to compete for, for business, for lack of a better word, with using a different s- systems of corporate tax. You've seen yeah. that. You know, let's look at Ireland, for example, who you – know, one of the main reasons Ireland had such a str- strong rebound from the, from the crisis, a sort of confounding rebound so quickly, was because they had an incredibly competitive corporate tax rate, which yeah. made it attractive for companies to relocate there. You know, people don't um, realize a half a century ago – Ireland and El Salvador had the same GDP per capita. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, Ireland fundamentally reinvented itself, being part of the EU, but also just being smart in how it, it, it did its taxes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if uh, this argument, I think, it, it, is a non-starter in terms of you know this argument about saying it's somehow unpatriotic to look to other jurisdictions to minimize your corporate tax yeah. is, is is nonsensical on an economic basis because it look at it on an individual basis we all you know states are allowed to compete on you yeah. know, state income tax state taxes lack of state income yeah. tax you know that and and people sort of never look at the issue in the same way so i think it's an easy political it has been an easy political win it has been easy yeah. to say look at these tech giants making billions in profits off the backs of you know american sales american workers and then they don't even bring their money into the us this needs to be taxed i think 
if the Republicans can sort of uh, push through, a, you know, a, this is a, a more sophisticated take of this issue in terms of what it means and sort of come up with some sort of proposal yeah. that's palatable, that it is possible we'll see, uh, we'll see changes there. I agree that a grand, uh, a grand revisiting, a grand plan, whether that's, a, you know, a reduction of some, some personal rates of income tax and mostly bringing that 35 percent rate down on corporations yeah. down to a level that's much more competitive. It's, it's it, that one I, I think will get really bogged down. And even though we've seen this huge gains in the in the Senate last night, let's be clear: they still don't have sixty. They still yeah, don't have that's the sixty true. they that's would right. need. And and we need people to sort of step that's back right. and look at that and realize that they don't have sixty yet. So they're still going to need to be compromises. Megan, thanks very much for coming on the show. We talked so much I didn't even get a chance to get around to marijuana because that's a big topic as well. <laughs> uh, and, and I guess the irony of the whole night, and, and it, whether you are for gun control or not for gun, gun control, is the state of Washington passing a, a, a gun gun legislation. Unfortunately, two weeks after the shooting in, in, mm. near Seattle, uh, yeah. many thanks, many thanks to both of you for coming on. Kent and Megan, uh, we'll talk to you again down the road. Great to have you. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.